0: what is going on everybody this is joel Copeling, uh co-host of real me and colon a movie podcast bringing you some post-covid content now as chase lee my usual co-host and i have decided to go our separate ways uh, just for the time being to bring you extra content and not disorganized episodes that might fall apart at the last minute. Um, you know, we talked about this last week on the show that we were just going to bring you, you know, extra content um, uh, to keep you occupied during this time of tremendous uncertainty and panic. Um, hopefully you're not panicking out there. And and also, I'm not going to, you know, tell you about my week as usual, Um, you know, as with everybody, it's been kind of crazy and, and like I said, uncertain and, uh, I don't want to bring you down. I want to be able to give you some, some good content to, um, to listen to some good suggestions on movies to watch and, uh, some great, um, you know, like I said, some great suggestions. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about my picks for the best films of 2009 uh, and then next week, I will have my picks for the best films of 2008 and so forth. Uh, I have also lined up a couple of guests at this point uh, to accompany me on this. Uh, each week is going to be a different year back to 2000. So that brings me uh, mid-May, something like that. And beyond that, I'll figure something else out. Uh, I don't have enough confidence to have a top 10 of any year you know, prior to that one. I haven't seen enough. I almost haven't seen enough for some of the years I am going to talk about, but I do feel a little bit more confident to talk about uh, some of these years in the 2000s, the first decade of the century. And uh, so, yeah, without further ado, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and get straight into it. Um, it's going to be the usual format, except without another person. So I'm going to be talking about 10 through six. I'm going to take a quick break after those, and then I'm going to talk about five through one, and um, and call it a day. And I will also, with each choice, tell you where you can watch these right now, uh, as best as I can. Um, I've done some research into the streaming availability of some of these titles, so hopefully that helps you out. Um, you know how accurate it is? I, I I don't know, but um, there are enough choices here that I that I should be good in terms of you know where where to. Uh, where to find these? So I'm going to go ahead and get straight into it. At number 10 of 2009, I do indeed have Away We Go from director Sam Mendez. This one stars John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph as a couple who have decided to move to Colorado in order to start their family. And along the way, uh, along the, the path of their road trip, they come across friends, relatives um, in different cities, different climates. And they, you know, learn about themselves in the process. They learn about what kind of parents they want to be. They also learn about what kind of people they are. And uh, director Sam Mendez fills the cast with a lot of familiar faces. Um, and, you know, aside from John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph, both of whom are great here. Uh, you have Carmen Ejogo, Catherine O'Hara, Jeff Daniels, Allison Janney, Melanie Linsky, Paul Schneider, Chris Messina, Josh Hamilton, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jim Gaffigan. It's a great cast and it's a great film. It's uh it's truthful, it's honest and it's true. It's lovingly crafted as well. Uh there's some great, you know, low-key cinematography here, but the the main draw is this cast which is just fantastic. Um really uh the best here I think is probably Maya Rudolph, who should have really gotten some sort of recognition in the best actress category. But of course, I think this came out in June of that year, maybe May, a little bit early. Uh if it had been released in the October, September arena, maybe it had, maybe it would have gotten some um, some recognition. But as is, you know, it kinda of went under the radar. Uh, it also came out very soon after Revolutionary Road for Mendez, a film uh, I have not seen, but uh but I've heard that it's pretty it's a pretty downer cinema. This is a little more a little happier. It's a comedy, uh, primarily. Uh does mix some some sincerity in there too, some pathos. Especially in the form of Messina's character, uh, who is married to the Linsky character and realizes some unhappiness. And anyway, it's it's fantastic. And um, so yeah, number ten, away we go, which is now available to stream on DirecTV as well as Amazon Video if you have a Stars subscription. So uh, that is where that one is available right now. Um, moving on from number ten to number nine, I have. A Serious Man, Uh, directors Ethan and Joel Cohen's crazy, very idiosyncratic comedy set in the Midwest um, about a physics professor named Larry Gopnik, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who has been informed that his wife has left him uh, for an acquaintance. Um, His wife is played by Sari Lenick, and the acquaintance is a fellow teacher Named Cy Abelman, played by Fred Melamed, um, and meanwhile he he just kind of goes into a tailspin. There, it's a very Jewish film, um, very very Jewish film. Uh, it's about um, kind of suburban, the suburban Jewish kind of sub like like I said, suburban lifestyle, and um, of this Jewish professor who kind of realizes that life for him doesn't really seem to mean anything in particular. Uh, it's a very, very uh, nihilistic movie, especially for the Coens uh, or maybe even for the Coens. Um, but it's really anchored by this great central performance by Stolberg, who kind of came into um fame by being on the show, I think it was Boardwalk Empire that he was on for a long time, although I first became aware of him with this film, and uh, and what I love about what he does is he anchors the Coen's brand of irony, uh, which is, again, very cynical. It's a very cynical movie, especially with the ending. Uh, I'll just say that it involves a tornado, but maybe not in the way that you expect Um, it to involve Tornado. uh, And this is another one with a really good supporting cast, maybe not super, um, you know, recognizable names, but really good actors all over the, all all over the place. Richard Kind, who, uh, you know, would later become known as Bing Bong from Inside Out. Um, Adam Arkin, Amy Landecker, uh, Simon Helberg, and, uh, Michael Lerner. Some of these people are just are are recognizable by their faces, maybe not so much by their names, unless you're just super in the know about that kind of thing. But uh, really, it just is a um, a fantastic uh, portrait of the futility kind of of faith. Um, and uh, especially in the in the face of so much adversity, it becomes kind of a job type story. Um, in which he just comes upon hardship after hardship and cannot find the meaning of them, uh, of any of it. And uh, yeah, I love this film so much. Uh, It's a really underrated and underseen one from them, especially in their run from 2007 to 2010. I feel like this is the one that people maybe talk about the least, um, but it's fantastic. So definitely A Serious Man, Uh, this one is available now on uh netflix it is available to stream on netflix so very easily locatable if you have that and uh also on dvd and blu-ray of course so that is my number nine also shout out to uh i'm pretty sure it's roger Deacons that shot this yes roger Deacons shot it you know carter burwell usual composer for the Coens, did the score which is Quite something, and um, uh, very nice muted production design from Jess Gonchor, Deborah Jensen, and uh, it's just really confident, uh, confident in itself to give you this strange mix of of tragedy and comedy that it that it's giving you, and um, yeah, certainly worth checking out. That is a serious man, and it is my number nine film. Of 2009 uh, moving on to my number eight I have a movie that's not going to be for everybody uh, and in fact whenever I first heard about it I was curious as to why there were there was so much hubbub around it um, but then I saw it uh, about maybe a year or so after it came out and made kind of a splash Um, and then seemed to drop off everybody's radar for some reason, Um, especially after I saw it. I didn't understand why. Uh, But it does star Seth Rogen, yet it isn't one of his usual films that he makes with his buddies. Uh, Some of them do show up in the film. Um, It it certainly pulls from that scene, if you will, that, that group of actors that would usually show up in a Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg film, for instance. But it isn't one of those that heavily involves his his crew. Um, although he did make one in 2009 with funny people. That is not a, f- a movie that is on my list. I like it a lot. It's not on my list. The movie that I'm going with is a really aggressive, R-rated comedy. Very crude, pervasive language, literally in the rating reason. Um, It is a diseased comedy, as a friend of mine put it, and that is Observe and Report from director Jody Hill. Um, This one stars, like I said, Seth Rogen as a mall security guard, Ronnie Barnhart, who is called to stop a flasher uh, from from, uh, terrorizing shoppers in a mall. And uh, lest you think that this is Paul Blart Mall Cop, No, that actually came out three months before this did. Uh, That came out in January. This came out in April of 2009. And uh, very similar plots, except when you get to the particulars of how Hill in this movie and uh, the director of Paul Blart in that film uh, tackled this whole issue of a mall cop, especially because Ronnie Barnhart is essentially a Travis Bickle of mall cops. Uh, he is ruthless. He will exact violence upon you. And, uh, if you are, you know, messing around in his mall, he gives, he has no prisoners, he takes no prisoners. He is a guy who is just unshakable in his, um, in his stature. Um, even though he's also reckless and it's a performance from Rogan. I think it might be his best, uh, at least that I've seen. Um, where he absolutely tackles everything that is psychologically wrong with this man. Um, you know, it's not a particularly lighthearted movie at all. Um, there's a couple of sweet things involving his romance with a woman played by Anna Faris. Uh, you know, it's sweet, they go on dates, but you are always aware of how toxic this man is, Um, especially as he comes... Against the, you know some criminals and uh, a detective played by Ray Liotta, which is really not uh, interesting casting for sure. And yeah, you know, I keep coming back to casting with my choices here. But you know, in this film, we have a lot of familiar faces again: Michael Peña, Jesse Plemons, Patton Oswalt, Danny McBride does show up, as is I think probably required of a Seth Rogen movie. Um, Aziz Ansari shows up, Lauren Miller, and it's just a really really raunchy, but also dark movie that is uh, difficult, honestly difficult to to view at times. But if you can stomach a character, if you can imagine Travis Bickle being the subject, the protagonistic subject of a comedy, then Observe and Report is very much your bag. Um, I think that you will really like it. And uh, yeah, so it's it's quite the uh, <laughs> quite the thing, the 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 beast, uh, quite a beast for sure. Uh, and this one doesn't seem to be streaming anywhere. However, it is available to rent on Amazon Video, iTunes, Fandango Now, several several other options for you, um, and usually very cheap. I'm seeing you know two ninety nine, even ninety nine cents here. So. Um, certainly easily accessible uh, to you if you want to douse yourself in a lot of really really um, dark raunchy comedy. So, observe and report my number eight of two thousand nine. Not going to be for everybody. Uh, so if you don't like it, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't begrudge anybody hating this, but I, it, you know, it's my like I said, it's my bag, and I really really enjoyed it. That leads me to my number seven, uh, which is a movie that seems to have uh, let its director down uh, to think that he can only go down one path. And since this film, he hasn't really done much that I've been impressed with. I'm hoping that that changes uh, for director Neil Blomkamp, but um, with Elysium in 2013 and Chappie in 2015, I wasn't really, uh, especially with Chappie, I wasn't really impressed with the way Blomkamp basically took the 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 central con the central plotting conceit of this film that I'm about to mention and just kind of repeated that. Um, there's a lot of setup and a lot of action payoff, but there's not a lot of payoff in terms of paying off that concept. Uh, except that I think that with his first film. Uh, District 9, which is at number 7 for me, I think he does have that payoff. Uh, This is the story of uh, basically, 30 years before this story is set, um, aliens came to to Earth and set themselves above South Africa, uh, which is a very interesting kind of um subjective concept to take on just because there's a lot of history there with, uh, with, you know, apartheid for sure. And it turns into an allegory for that when they are all imprisoned in a specific district as the city is, as as the country is divided up. Um, and this one follows one man played by Charlton Copley who realizes who, who contracts the virus and turns from, this extremely xenophobic company field agent to one of these aliens. Uh, I guess mild spoilers, but yes, he eventually does become one of these aliens uh, by the end of the film. And it's about that slow process and about him being hunted Um, and the fact that he can only hide in this district where he was once the guy who uh, took these aliens and put them in, um, you know, either gave them a way to, to die or put them in camps and, uh, you know, hearing about camps of, you know, these aliens that may not be at all, um, you know, really terrifying or even, uh, dangerous for the most part, you know, it's, uh, it certainly takes on a new kind of life today. Let's just say that with everything that's going on, away from this coronavirus with people in cages and 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 all of that. It certainly takes on a new meaning. Um, Copley's performance was my pick for Best Actor of 2009, uh, at least for a long time. There is another actor I'm going to be mentioning here pretty soon that uh, uh, in my second part of the, the episode that could give Copley a run for his money. But nevertheless, um, I think it is, I think it is him because for most of the movie, he is having to, uh, interact with, um, the alien on, you know, that's, uh, that he comes into contact with the one that, that he ultimately kind of bonds with and, uh, you know, after his infection and, um, who's I think voiced by Jason Cope, but, uh. But he's having to actually act opposite really nothing for for many portions of the movie. There was nobody there for many of the shots. He was having to um, ad lib dialogue, um, which in some cases meant that it was. This is an extremely uh, vulgar movie, but uh, but I love it. I love the vision of it. I think it holds up. I know that there are a lot of people who have kind of turned their back on this since it came out. Uh, and since Blomkamp's other movies came out, but I think that um, even if it means that Blomkamp's kind of a one-trick pony, uh, a director with only one good movie, uh, then that is certainly something that that could be true. Um, I just know that I love this movie's mixture of ideas and big spectacle. It's the film that I also think should have won best visual effects in two thousand and nine. It lost to Avatar, which was, you know, quite a big movie, uh, uh, lots of special effects, revolutionized 3d. This one I think uses effects to a more, um, to a smaller on a smaller scale, almost even though it is, um, you know, full characters, there's not a whole lot of there's, and there's, there's a recreated world here too. I don't think that it's a whole lot of, um, uh, just, you know, nonsense, visual nonsense. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a fantastic film, really exciting, and uh, really visionary. And so yeah, that's my number seven, is District Nine. You can now stream this on Fubo as well as Amazon if you have a Showtime subscription. So, uh, check it out, folks. That is, if you haven't yet, check it out. That's my number seven. Now, my number six is. Uh, from one of my favorite directors, at least for a while. He's kind of gone downhill in recent years, but with Up in the Air, uh, director Jason Reitman, I think, made possibly his best film. Uh, This is another one that actually has Danny McBride from Observe and Report and Melanie Linsky from uh, from Away We Go. Uh, It stars, though, George Clooney as Ryan Bingham, who is a corporate downsizing expert who lives basically in planes and in airports and in hotels. He is trying to reach a milestone of 10 million frequent flyer miles. And then he meets a woman, uh, played by Vera Farmiga, who has a similar lifestyle and it re- causes him to rethink that. Um, he also is training a younger executive played by Anna Kendrick to, uh, to, you know, to learn the ways, the ways of his job. Um, he also is having a deal with a job with a boss played by Jason Bateman, who wants to slowly phase him out of his job without telling him that. Um, you got a lot of really familiar faces here: Zach Galifianakis, J.K. J. Simmons, Sam Elliott. It is a fantastically truthful and uh, perfectly crafted film, uh, from the score to the cinematography, which is uh, from. Brightman's regular Eric Stielberg, one of the best cinematographers of mundanity. Uh, That's how I like to describe him. He really makes everything look pretty, even if it's just regular um, images of, you know, suburbia or urban life. And I love it. Um, I love uh, uh, his, how he uh, captures everything. So uh, yeah, I I think that um, with Up in the Air, I think that it's Reitman's best film, which is saying a lot because I also loved Thank You for Smoking. Um, y'all will definitely hear what I think about Juno in a couple of weeks. And I uh, loved Young Adult. And since those, I think that he's gone down just a little bit, um, especially with films like The Front Runner. I I did love Tully. that was a, That was a comeback. But with films like The Front Runner and Men, Women, and Children – you know, I'm not as excited for a Jason Reitman Ghostbusters movie as I probably should be, uh, just because I think that he did kind of fall to the wayside, um, trying to take on too much, perhaps. I'm not sure. But with this film, though, he was really in that stride of really honest and, um, and perceptive films about uh, just, you know, human life kind of... Uh, just living, and it it feels like it it, it belongs in a different world. Uh, this came out in the midst of a recession, which really kind of gives it an interesting spark. Uh, but in the meantime, it's um, uh, if you look back on it, it is a really fantastic look at kind of what uh, a an uh, what an interrupted life looks like. Um. And Clooney's performance really conveys that. I also loved, you know, Anna Kendrick, Vera Farmiga, both nominated for this. Clooney was nominated for this. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, that is part one. I'm going to take a quick break. You're just going to hear a little bit of music. And I'm going to come back with my picks for the best films of 2009, numbers five through one. So stay tuned, folks. Stay there. Hey guys, and welcome to part two of my picks for the best films of 2009. Incidentally, whenever I ended the the first part uh, with my number six choice up in the air, I totally forgot to mention that it is available to stream on Prime Video and Hulu. Like I said, very much worth it, and now I'm going to move on to my number five choice, which is Precious. Based on the novel Push by Sapphire from director Lee Daniels and screenwriter Jeffrey Fletcher. This one stars Gabure Sidibe as a uh, young woman uh, living in Harlem in 1987. She's a 16-year-old African-American girl born into essentially poverty and abuse. Um, Her mother is terrifying. She's played by Monique in an Academy Award-winning performance. And... Uh, She is sent to a school um, where the teacher, played by Paula Patton, is extremely sensitive and um, caring for her, and for reasons that maybe she doesn't quite understand. Um, This is a really tough watch, so if you do seek it out, just know that, uh, that you are not getting into something that's going to be particularly enjoyable but you are going to be getting into a viewing experience that is the definition of empathetic and uh, really beautiful in many ways, Um, especially through Sidibe's performance. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Out of the nominees that year that I've seen, I would have given it to her, especially over someone like Sandra Bullock for The Blind Side. This is a much more um, honest and... uh, emotionally raw performance in many ways. And, um, and I loved it. Uh, the filmmaking is raw, uh, just as the performances are. The cinematography is, um, uh, has a strange beauty to it, but it does capture the grittiness and the grime of her living situation, especially with her mother. We get a lot of images of food being cooked here. Um, that is, uh, all, you know, pretty much all that they can eat in their house, but it isn't really photographed with any sort of way that would make you want to eat it. If that makes sense. Um, it's all very much the sad life of this young woman who, uh, finds out that she's pregnant and she's also pregnant for the second time by her absentee father, um, She can't read. She's in ninth grade. Um, even though she's much older, obviously, she's 16. She's not 14, whatever grade, uh, whatever age a ninth grader would be. She's been behind on school and, uh, she's being abused emotionally and physically by her mother, um, whose uh, name, incidentally, is Mary. And, uh, you also have a couple of musicians in, um, uh, musicians turned actors in supporting roles. Here, you have Lenny Kravitz as a sympathetic nurse, and um, Mariah Carey as a social worker who, whose hands are kind of tied in the worst way possible, um, completely unrecognizable. Uh, in 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 Mariah Carey's uh, um, case, she's completely deprified herself um, in the traditional sense of the term. She doesn't look like Mariah Carey looks like. And uh, it's just really, really, uh, um, uh, it's a stunning movie, but it is very tough to watch uh, in times. But if you can get through something like this, then it's very highly recommended. Um, It won Best Adapted Screenplay at the Academy Awards that year. That was a significant win for it. Um, there was a time, I think, when this was my number one of 2009. It's since fallen, just when, um, from catching up with other movies, rewatching this one in conjunction with re-watching others and, and all of that. But it's still, it's still, you know, uh, is pretty high on my list. I, I, I do love it. It's very much not poverty porn in any way. Um, it's not, you know, domestic abuse porn, uh, if that makes sense. It's not, Um, It's not any of that. It doesn't glorify any of this. Uh, It it is just deeply honest and incredibly moving about this young woman's situation. And um, yeah, certainly worth checking out. Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, is available to stream on Prime Video and Hulu as well, just like Up in the Air. So um, you might watch this and then Up in the Air. Uh, And it's also available to rent and buy... Um, whether it's on DVD or Blu-ray or on some other platform. But for free, uh, if you have these services, it is on Prime and Hulu. And that is my number five. Um, and now I'm going to move on to my number four, which is Spike Jones's adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are. Uh, this is based on the book, the children's book by... Uh, Maurice Sendak, co-written by David Dave Eggers, and uh, it stars Max Records as Max, a young boy who decides that he doesn't really like his dull existence uh, with his mom, and so he decides to run away to a far-off land where there are large talking beasts that crown him as their king and play games and build forts and discover secret hideaways. You have a you have a great mix of voice. Actors here from James Gandolfini to Catherine Keener. I am not Catherine Keener. Catherine O'Hara. Catherine Keener plays his mother. Um, Forrest Whitaker, um, uh, Paul Dano, Chris Cooper. And it is a, uh, it's a fantastic movie. Also has Mark Ruffalo as one of the humans in it. A man that is now dating his mother. Um, This kid is precocious. He's maybe not the easiest main character in a movie. Um, there's certainly a lot of people who wish that, you know, somebody, <laughs> I even saw somebody say, um, that they wish that they could just punch the kid in the face. Uh, and that's entirely, you know, a sympathetic line was, uh, other than wanting to punch a kid in the face. It's entirely sympathetic to, to think of that. Uh, he's kind of a little butthole sometimes, but the, the fact of the matter is he's also incredibly realistic, um, in terms of his, loneliness and in terms of his um, feeling of a lack of any sort of um, attention being paid to him he feels that he's being ignored and that's where he turns to this made-up land um, it expands upon the book greatly I mean the book barely had any plot this movie has quite a bit of it uh, in in the context of the book but um but it's great and Jones is a is a filmmaker you're going to hear about more of for me uh, in the future on one of these episodes. Uh, I love his films. I've, you know, talked about how *Her* is my top film of 2013. One of one of the top ten films of the decade. Uh, this past decade, um, I will definitely be getting into adaptation, his film with Charlie Kaufman. But in the in the interim, this one is certainly worth checking out uh if you missed it and a lot of people did it didn't make very much money it didn't make very much of a um of a stir in october 2009 when it opened but the film the 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 cinematography by lance accord who is somebody who works a lot with um with sofia coppola is gorgeous to behold and um the the score is great the um the soundtrack is fantastic. the uh, The editing is just so quixotic and keeps the rhythm going um, at a pace that reminds of, you know, uh, or it keeps it at a pace that reminds of something like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Which means, which is to say, it's not ADHD driven. It's not a quick, um, quick paced, you know, fast. Um, mindless entertainment it's not that at all it's very patient but it is also good for kids who are getting to that age where they feel the same kind of loneliness as this character and it is just really something special something to treasure it's a great uh, to put it this way it's a great kids movie that is also uh, enough to uh delight the adults who might watch it but in a way that keeps you grounded it, it, it isn't like i said it isn't some rambunctious entertainment it's it's more thoughtful it's more about um you know more adult things for kids if that mean if that makes any sense it's for kids who are wise and um you know this is not cars 2 this is not um an episode of chuggington this is a this is a thoughtful, more introspective, but family-friendly film in many ways. And um, and it is a tremendous experience to watch it. I haven't seen in, this one in a while. Uh, I do have a Blu-ray of it. It is available on Blu-ray. It doesn't seem to be streaming anywhere for free, but it is available to rent for 3 dollars it looks like, pretty much across the board. It places like Amazon Video DirecTV, Fandango Now, iTunes, and so forth, uh, Vudu, YouTube, lots of places that you can rent this. Not available for streaming, so you are going to have to shell out a little bit of money, but uh, but it's worth it. It's worth the $4 to rent this. Um, and so, yes, that is my number four. Uh, my number three seems to be a movie that um, isn't very popular, especially even among fans of its director. Um, who's a director who hasn't worked in five years, I believe it is. Um, and and before that film in 2015, this film was his previous one. Um, his movies don't tend to make very much money, so he isn't really called back to to make a movie, uh, which is sad because he's one of the great modern directors. Um, I am talking about Public Enemies from director Michael Mann. Uh, this is the story of the capturing of the elusive outlaw, John Dillinger, played in the film by Johnny Depp, um, as spearheaded by uh, Melvin Purvis, an agent played by Christian Bale, who is the main character of the film. It primarily follows him. It's also got a great cast of a bunch of really recognizable faces, including the likes of Giovanni Rabisi, Billy Crudup, Marion Cotillard in an early role, Emily Deraven, Channing Tatum, very briefly, Lily Lily Sobieski, yeah, even her, Dominic Lombardozzi, who was recently saw, seen in The Irishman, Stephen Lang, Carrie Mulligan, one of her early roles, in fact, I think came out before in education that year, Stephen Dorf, um, uh, David Winham, Jason Clark, uh, clearly, you know, Rory Cochrane, uh, clearly Stephen Graham, another Irishman name, clearly a lot of really... Um, Fantastic actors in this sprawling um, examination of a criminal's lifestyle and his elusiveness of the FBI. Um, and it's just about kind of that elusiveness. It's really not about anything in the term that you would capitalize the A in about and capitalize the A in anything, if you know what I mean by that. It isn't really a philosophical movie. Man's films are are almost always about a lonely male character at the center uh, who is um, just, you know, trying to survive in, in seclusion almost Um, whether it's in his own thoughts. uh, Commonly that can be the case or whether it's literal. And of course, in this case he does go into hiding. uh, Dillinger does, but it's mostly about the style and it's about the, the way that man uses his camera, led by uh, Dante Spinati, uh, who shot in a very digital way that captured all the pores in the skin and uh, it transformed some shootouts into ultra realistic ones that were just stunning to watch. Stunning to watch. Um, and yeah, I just I, I I love this film. Not everybody does. It's it's one that's received with some degree of um you know lukewarm response uh especially when it came out i think it's in the 50s on rotten tomatoes i I could be wrong with that but um feels like that's at least about where it landed in terms of the general critical consensus for me though it's one that really grew on me you know i was i was i was a fan when i saw it originally but it's really grown on me in recent years it looks stunning Man's films are all about the the atmosphere that they create, and um, you know I love a lot of his films where a lot of other people don't. You will you will hear me talking about. In fact, I think all of his other movies in this series of top tens from the 2000s that he made ever since Ali in 2001, Um, and going backward, you know I love The Insider, I love Heat. I think that this guy is a real voice. I really wish he would make another movie because the only thing that he made in the 2010s was Black Hat, which I liked. Maybe not one of my favorite of his. In fact, maybe one of my least favorite of his, but I did like it. And um, I think that that he is a real major voice, uh, and it's led by you know people like Johnny Depp and Christian Bale who are stoic, effective when they need to be, um, certainly give terrific performances at the center of this crime drama, uh, crime epic really. And, uh, certainly worth checking out. It is currently not streaming anywhere for free, much like where the wild things are in that, in that respect, but it is available to rent again for $4 roughly at places like Amazon video, YouTube, iTunes, direct TV, Google play. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the, uh, the information here. So That is my number three, Public Enemies. At number two, I have a pretty terrifying movie. It's not a horror film. In fact, one could possibly call it an extremely dark, dingy, grimy comedy, kind of. Although it is, again, terrifying. It's called Bronson, and it comes from director Nicholas Winding Refn, who later brought us Drive, one of my favorite films of the entire decade of the 2010s. This is the story of a man uh who is named Michael Peterson. At the beginning of the film, he's played in a star-making turn by Tom Hardy. This is the role that really got him cast in everything else that he was in later in his career because of his exposure in this film. It's what I'm, it's what got him cast in Inception, and Inception is what got him cast in everything else that he's been in. Um Peterson eventually takes on the name Charles Bronson when he ends up in prison for seven years for robbing a post office. Then he ends up in 30 years, uh, solitary confinement for murder within that prison. And, um, eventually his personality is torn apart and replaced by this alter ego of Charles Bronson, who is an ultra violent lout. He, this is not a nice character at all. This is not a, this is not a, um, It's a fun character to watch in terms of how violent he is, which means that if you don't find violent characters fun, you're probably not going to find this movie very fun. But it is a tremendous balancing act of uh, this wild performance and the extremely stylistic approach of telling his story, which is to never stop once. It It is a nonstop... Just, you know, uh, violent, um, loud, raucous, occasionally funny, occasionally, well, mostly terrifying, and always engaging piece of filmmaking uh, that I was happy to come across. And I honestly don't know how I did that. Um, I think I might have rented it. Yeah, I think I might have rented it from Blockbuster back when Blockbuster Near Me was open. Uh, any Blockbuster was open, but the one Near Me was open uh, in the past, in the last years of its business. And uh, it was much later. I think it was in preparation for Drive, in fact. Um, and it kind of retroactively put itself near the top of my list for 2009. Terrifying, extremely well acted. Tom Hardy's performance is, you know, second only to Charlotte Copley in. Uh, District 9 for my favorite lead male performance of 2009. And, um, yeah, I love this movie so much. Um, So, in terms of where it is to stream, uh, it looks like it is available on Hoopla if you want to sign up for that, I guess. I'm not very familiar with Hoopla. I know of one person who does enjoy it as a streaming service. I'm not sure what the benefits are, um, but it is available on hoopla. If you want to check this out, just, just gird your loins. It's quite a, uh, uh, it's got a lot of graphic nudity too, because he spends a lot of his time nude in this prison, but, uh, but it is a tremendous piece of, um, aggressive forward motion filmmaking, if you will. Um, and it's told at a different speed than something like Drive. It wouldn't be, uh, con- it wouldn't be um confused with Drive or only God only God forgives. This is very much Winding Refin and his ADD method. Um, and I love it. So that is my number two is Bronson from director Nicholas Winding Refin. And guys, that takes me to my number one film of two thousand nine. This, I think, probably people know by now. I've mentioned that I love this movie. I've mentioned that it's somewhere near the top of the pile of films from this director. Um, it's certainly one of his most idiosyncratic uh, efforts. And that would be *Inglorious Bastards from director Quentin Tarantino. This is the story of as well, many stories really it's the story of the bastards uh who are french uh, who are jewish um vengeance takers uh led by lieutenant alder rain played by brad pitt they are going after any nazi that they can find the other members are played by the likes of eli roth bj novak uh several others that are that are um, recognizable um till schweiger i think i think he's one of them and also, it's the story of a young woman named Shoshana, played by Melina uh, Laurent, who is exacting vengeance for the murder of her family and all of their friends uh, when she was younger by a um uh um some, someone a, a major Nazi voice known as the Jew Hunter. Played by Christoph Waltz in an Academy Award-winning performance, and it's also the uh, the story of a theater director played by Diane Kruger, who wants to make fun of Nazis by uh, hosting a movie um, uh, premiere, basically of a of a propaganda uh, film produced by Nazis of. Um, a guy, basically shooting from a tower, a bunch of American soldiers, and it's also the story of a film critic turned soldier, played by Michael Fassbender, an early role for him, as he, uh, basically, just kind of tries to uh, get to the top of this um, this Nazi regime. So, lots of stories going on in this, as is usual for for Tarantino lots of very idiosyncratic dialogue. Uh, and it also ends up as one critic put it, I think, um, I can't remember who it was, put it this way. It ends up kind of destroying movies, uh, in, in the, in the, um, in the process of telling its story. By the end, we get to this, um, major shootout, which totally, you know, rewrites history. And, uh, just the vision of this movie, Robert Richardson's cinematography—best of all of 2009 for me—would have won that, uh, or should have won that, I think. And uh, at the Oscars, um, if it was nominated, I can't remember if it was, but it should have should have won. It's beautiful. Lots of drawn out shots. Lots of very punchy editing. Great performances from everybody involved, particularly a great performance from Mike Myers, who shows up um, near the near the middle. Um, but this is vaults's show. It's, it's his kind of, um, at the center of all of this, it's his, uh, showcasey performance that really just puts this over at the top for me, but it's also an incredibly moving experience, especially for Tarantino, who I think is usually associated with films that are very much in the analytical, um, in the analytical vein, I think it's the story of Shoshana, who's played by Laurent, in a performance of incredible, um, almost bravery. Almost, I, I don't want to call it that in in a in a in a loose kind of way, but it's just a great bit of historical revisionism and a great bit of uh, subversion on the part of Tarantino to do all of this genuinely subversive in ways that are not um, conflicted about about their subject at all. And, um, you know, as he has been kind of uh, called out for in, in some of his films, in this one, I think he genuinely lays waste to a lot of these ideas uh, and um, in a really spectacular fashion. And it's just, you know, it was one uh, kind of a long extended joke as his movies usually tend to be, But it's, you know, it's got a heart, it's got a soul to it too, and I think that that's pretty important. So, yeah, uh, that is my pick for the best film of 2009, is Quentin Tarantino's trailblazing, barn-busting Inglorious Bastards. I love that movie, and it is available to stream on Netflix, uh, so it's easily accessible Um, you know, I'm not sure how long it'll be on there. They always take stuff off. I haven't heard anything about it being removed anytime soon, but it is fantastic. It is very much worth your time. If you haven't seen this one, if this is one of your, uh, Tarantino blind spots, certainly get on it because it is fantastic. So there we have it, folks. Those are my choices for the best films of 2009 to recap at number 10. I had Away we go at number nine, a serious man. At number 8, Observe and Report. At number 7, District 9. At number 6, Up in the Air. At number 5, Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. At number 4, Where, Where the Wild Things Are. At number 3, I had uh, Public Enemies. At number 2, Bronson. And at number 1, my pick for the best film of 2009, once again, Inglorious Bastards. So, folks... Stay tuned. Next, I will have a list of the best films of two thousand eight to uh, for you. I don't know yet whether or not I will have a guest on, but I might. Um, I'm trying to get some guests on. That's a little bit of a um, of a short waiting time, but um, or short prepare, preparation time for some. So it may be that that's another loner, but we'll see. Um, it'll be a surprise. So uh, this has been the first episode post-covid episode of real me and colon a movie podcast i hope you liked it if this is your first episode this is kind of a weird one to start on because i usually have a guest host but you can watch a lot of his uh you can go back in our archive first of all and you can also watch a lot of the reviews that he's been posting or listen to and listen to them um you know youtube spotify uh i Heart radio uh spreaker a lot of places uh, and of course here on anchor.fm chat box or cast box, I should say. Um, and uh, yeah. So guys, this has been great. You've been great. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at real Joel Copling. That's R E E L J O E L C O P L I N G. And you can also follow me on letterboxd. I'm doing, you know, uh, kind of updating over there, I'm getting into the groove of no new releases to log but um you know uh it's it's an everyday it's a, it's a once a day thing guys uh until then have you know be safe out there um try not to lose your mind in isolation if you're typically extroverted uh i'm not i'm an introvert this is kind of this hasn't been super tough for me in terms of uh filling my time but if you are a person who uh, you know, requires a lot of um, people around you please stay safe. Uh, I know that this is a trying time for a lot of people. Uh, If you have an infection of this virus, my thoughts are with you right now. Um, Hopefully this, you know, can be a little bit palliative and, uh, and give you some viewing options if you're up to it. Um, And if you are, if you don't have the op, you know, the virus and you're just at your house then, or your apartment or wherever, and, you're wanting to watch something, hopefully this gives you some ideas. I'm gonna have some more ideas for you next week. Until then, uh this has been Real Me In. You know, guys, we'll just see what happens from here on out. Have a good day.